0: The House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres.
1: Welcome back to the House of Mystery on KKW, 1150 AM Seattle. I'm Al Warren, and of course to the side is Kev Thompson. Hey Al, here we are again. Yeah, another day. Another beautiful day in the summer and everything's great in the world (laughs) (laughs) and here we are Um, so we've got some great shows coming up for everybody Um, in September we're going to be covering the Kurt Cobain and his death we'll call it because there's a lot of people that are on the side of uh, uh, murder and not suicide and we've we've got the chief of police for Seattle uh, coming on live in September. And uh, he was on the case, um, and he was the one that headed it at the time. And he has a lot to say about the latest controversy, so that'll be exciting. Looking forward to that.
2: You know, that's one of those mysteries that's going to go down in history, kind of like the JFK. Was it an assassination by, or was it, you know, nobody knows. No matter what evidence is presented, you've got your viewpoint.
1: Especially in Seattle, there, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't believe how uh, I get. This is one of those things I keep getting swayed back and forth on. And every time someone comes out with something, I kind of go one way and then I go the other. Uh, now, you know, Courtney and I, of course, didn't get along when I talked to her, but I'm almost on her side on this one now. So. We'll just leave it. That's all I'll say. <laughs>
2: yes, that's saying a lot. Well, yes,
1: because uh, I'm certainly not a fan. But it's, I'm sort of more on her side with a lot of the statements that came out. So we'll talk about that coming up shows. That'll be mm-hmm. good. Now, uh, today we're uh, going uh, back into cult, the cult world, as we call it, kind of, um, uh, religious groups. And, of course, uh, we'll be covering all sorts of things uh, this month as well. You know, we've got uh, the Jim Jones thing and all that. But today we've got a great guest. I'm glad he could make it um, by Skype. It's uh, Benjamin Zeller. He's a Ph.D. and he teaches religion uh, in America. And um, we're going to talk about one of his books. And uh, it was on Heaven's Gate. And that's kind of where we're... uh, where we're focusing today. So uh, thank you for being on the show, uh, Benjamin Zeller.
0: Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, welcome. Thank you.
1: So, so uh, Benjamin, let's let's fill, fill the audience in on who you are, um, where you come from, and kind of what brought you into uh, religion, so to speak.
0: Sure, sure. So I am a professor of religion. I teach at a small liberal arts college outside of Chicago. Uh, And what's important in terms of my study of the Heaven's Gate group is the suicides which ended the group. And most of your listeners probably remember the Heaven's Gate suicides, uh, if they were alive, in 1997. uh, Hellbop Comet was overhead. There were claims there was a UFO trailing it. uh, And the the entire uh, membership of Heaven's Gate, all 39 people, uh, committed mass suicide uh, just outside of San Diego. Uh, So what's important for, for me is, at the time, I was a college student. Uh, it was my second or third year in university. And I was studying ancient religion, which had always fascinated me. Uh, and I was reading about the Epic of Gilgamesh and sort of ancient Egyptian beliefs about the end of the world and sort of, you know, the uh, ancient mysteries. Uh, and then right before my eyes was a contemporary group uh, where the same sort of things were unfolding. I had been learning about beliefs about end of the world uh, 2,000 years ago. I had been reading about, learning about uh, groups that believed in messiah figures, savior figures. And here, right in front of me, was a group with a with self-proclaimed messiah that believed the world was about to come to an end and committed suicide. And I began studying it as, uh, as a college student, even. And uh, 20 years later or so, uh, I'm still studying it. And the book came out uh, really based on those, those decades of, of research, uh, starting in 1997.
1: That's amazing. Now, when you do that research, like in something like Heaven's Gate, um, you f- you must find members of the groups or people that follow that belief system. What's it What's it like trying to interview people like that? Uh, and I mean that in a sense of do, are they willing to talk to you about how they got into it and and what how they lived.
0: Sure. I guess the first thing I would say is people are people, and I always approach any sort of interview with anyone, no matter what they believe or do or where they're from in life, as, as just another person to get to know and to hear their story. And I really try to convey that I respect their story. I may not agree with what uh, they believe or what they do or did, uh, but I want to try to understand it. Uh, so some of the uh, ex-members I've spoken with, that I have interviewed, uh, uh, several ex-members. Uh, you know, some of them are very wary to talk because uh, they fear that they're going to be considered crazy or brainwashed. Uh, they're used to decades of people making fun of them and their um, their co-religionists who committed suicide. Uh, so it, it's often very sensitive for them. Um, when I've talked to uh, family members, uh, often that's very sensitive as well. You know they. Uh, they lost a loved one, uh, and they have very strong feelings about it. I, I really just try to to recognize that this is a really complicated story, and I really just want to understand from each person's perspective what it is that, that they experienced and understood. But, yeah, I, I've talked to plenty of ex-members.
1: How do they feel about what happened, like, mm-hmm. now? I mean, because now that, they, that the gr- a lot of the group committed suicide and that whole thing, and it was all over the TVs and everything, how do they feel about that? Like, what, what? Are, they, are they sorry they got
2: into it? Or got- or are they experiencing survivor's guilt?
0: Uh, it depends on the person. So the largest number of ex-members actually were, were only briefly part of the group in the 70s when they began. Uh, this is a group which, which began in in the early 70s, uh, 1972 73, depending on how you count it. And there were people, several hundred people, who joined in, in the mid-70s. And stayed no more than a year or two. And for them, this is often part of their ancient history. Uh, this is something they had done 20 or 40 years ago at this point, uh, back in their younger days. Uh, and for those people, they often don't even think about it as Heaven's Gate, which it wasn't called at the time. It had a different name. And they don't think much about it. Uh, maybe sort of it's a bit of trivia that they were part of a group which later evolved into, into the suicide movement. Uh, the people for whom it's much more alive issue are the relatively small number of people who were part of it in the 80s or 90s and left, uh, no more than a couple dozen here and there. And uh, some of them are still true believers. I mean, they really believe the, the message of Heaven's Gate. They just chose not to join... Uh, they're co-religionists in the suicides. Uh, others don't believe the message, but they look at it as an important part of their life experience, that they learned something from it. Uh, others look at it as, uh, as a mistake. Uh, but it really depends on the person, but everyone's processed it in some way. Uh, I have not directly interviewed anyone who said, uh, boy, I wish I had never been involved. Uh, Everyone I've, I've spoken with has said that they learned something from it. They took something from it. Uh, but then again, uh, the people who, who really wanted nothing to do with it also would not be answering my phone calls. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a catch-22 there. The people who, who hate it want nothing to do with it, uh, by and large, don't want to talk to an academic who wants to interview them.
1: Yeah. So let's, let's explain this. Uh, so the people that don't know, uh, explain to them uh, what the group Heaven's Gate was and what is it that they did?
0: Sure, yes. Yeah. So Heaven's Gate, uh, and it used different names during its 20-year its history or so, but we'll keep calling it Heaven's Gate. Uh, it began uh, in, in the 70s. Uh, two founders, uh, Marshall Herf Applewhite and Bonnie Lou Nettles, uh, they were spiritual seekers and they created uh, a, uh, a new religion that uh, drew from beliefs in UFOs and ufology, uh, government conspiracies uh, to hide the existence of, of UFOs and extraterrestrial contact. Uh, with a sort of very Christian focus on the end of the world and reading the book of Revelation and sort of prophetic books. Uh, they started in the 70s. Uh, they uh, briefly uh, uh, hit national media in the late 70s uh, when uh, they um, they convinced uh, several dozen people to up and leave their families and, and, and join. This was in Waldport, Oregon, right down the road from you. Uh, about 20 or 30 people just up and left their families to join Heaven's Gate. Uh, then they went underground. People really didn't hear much about them. Uh, they came up, you know, now and then. They had a, a satellite TV broadcast. They had a website, but uh, most people hadn't heard of them until 1997, when the group decided that uh, they had to flee our planet before it would be destroyed, uh, in order to uh, go to what they called the next level, uh, outer space, uh, where they were uh, hoping to get onto a UFO and then sail around and sort of uh, take care of the galaxy, basically like uh, extraterrestrial. Space angels, for lack of a better term, I'm sort of trying to summarize here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So think of it as sort of uh, it's a bit Christian, it's a bit New Age, it's a bit ufology, uh, sort of all uh, combined together, but it makes sense to them.
1: Where where does this come from? Do you think that uh, like the idea of of going somewhere and becoming you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, <laughs> uh, like, where where does that come from? Like, I, I'm just trying to picture, like, if someone approached me and said that they were a chosen one and that um, we've got to do this, we've got to, you know, do, do what they wanted to do with Heaven's Gate. I, I'm trying to think how... I, I would just think the person was not. Uh, not.
0: I think that's a common reaction. Uh... But, uh, you know, if, uh, if, if you ever read the, the Bible or, or the, the Quran or the, the Bhagavad Gita, um, most of the great religious visionaries probably come across as somewhat nuts. Uh, but, uh, you know, in terms of Heaven's Gate, uh, and, and that is not to say that, that, that religions are nuts, just that if you're outside of, of the religion, it doesn't make sense. To them, it made sense because it was very much this idea of, of becoming an angel. Uh, you know, they're looking at this sort of long Christian history of, uh, of the idea of heaven. And they're basically saying outer space is heaven. And they're basically saying the prophets were in communication with space aliens who they wrote about as, as God because they didn't have the language to talk about it. But that all the Bible is, or for that matter, uh, uh, other religious texts, uh, are recollections and memories and instructions from outer space, from the next level, about how to try to become... A, uh, a higher evolutionary creature, how to evolve out of our planet and to join them in outer space—that's the message in a nutshell. Now, would it make sense to you or me if we if we heard it on the streets? Probably not. But that's why this group only had about forty people by the end. Now, given the
2: time, though, that they were beginning to develop in the early seventies, when people were more open-minded or you know more—I don't know—planetary conscious it would have made sense to that type of an audience.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. You know, when, when people today in, uh, you know, the, the second decade of the 21st century, when, um, uh, unless they're a part of sort of a, a, a particular subculture, when they hear about UFOs or flying saucers, they often think this is very, you know, fringe stuff. They, they forget that in, in, in the 70s, you know, this was very much a live issue, uh, and that it wasn't considered fringe or crazy to be a believer in extraterrestrial contact. Uh, that this was uh, this was unsettled science. And I would say even today, much of it is unsettled science, but there's much more of a uh, sort of a connotation that it's fringe or weird today than it was in the 70s. So yeah, sort of the UFO side, the flying saucer side, really had very broad appeal in the 70s when when they began.
1: Yeah, well, but, but for me here, hold on, I was going to say <coughs> why I think it's a fringe is because not so much like if you say to me, okay, well, UFOs are the higher level and we are gonna, we should make contact. It's not that I don't believe that we can have contact with aliens or there could be people in other planets. But they have a whole elaborate story. You have someone coming to you telling you the story that uh, the different types of aliens we have and what they're doing, what their plans are, where they live, and what they want us to do. That's the part that seems fringe to me.
0: Yeah, and that's what Heaven's Gate had. They had an elaborate story, an elaborate, uh, really theological understanding about the nature of extraterrestrial life. Uh, there was both an angelology, which described the higher order, uh, the angel-like beings, and there was a demonology, which described the the lower order of, of space aliens. Uh, those would be the reptilians and others who were uh, up to up to no good, nefarious agents of evil here on Earth. Uh, so they really did have a, a very uh, fleshed-out story of understanding a theology a worldview to make sense of our planet and how it fit in with the rest of the planets in, in the universe so to,
2: to really understand this we would actually have to go back to the origin and that would be Marshall Applewhite what happened to this music teacher that one day he just woke up and he's like I- I'm the Messiah
0: I have this vision I mean what what happened It was a very slow process for Applewhite. Uh, So Applewhite was, as you said, a music teacher. Uh, He was actually the son of a Presbyterian preacher. He briefly attended, uh, Applewhite Jr., um, so Marshall Herb Applewhite, briefly attended seminary, so he had some theological training. Uh, Then he dropped out to study music. Uh, His life was really falling apart when he met Bonnie Lou Nettles, who was the co-founder. Applewhite had been fired from his job, and there's different stories what was going on. He was having these religious visions. Uh, he thought he was hearing voices. Uh, he thought he was he had some sort of religious mission, but he didn't know what it was. Uh, he had uh, he was a bisexual, and he couldn't get any of his relationships to work, uh, male or female, so he felt like he was at his wit's end. The dating pool was 100% for him, uh, but he, he couldn't make anything work. Uh, he was divorced already. Uh, he was... Um, uh, living apart from his family. So so really, he was at his wit's end. And Bonnie Lou Nettles, who he met in 1972, uh, who was a theosophist and an astrologer, really introduced to him uh, sort of a, a set of spiritual teachings to help make sense uh, to him about what was going on in his life. And, and basically, uh, w- what she helped him to understand, uh, they believed, uh, was that the reason his life had fallen apart is because he had a higher calling, that fate had destined the two of them to meet and to become spiritual partners and to develop uh, a uh, a, new, uh, a new something. They didn't know exactly what they were doing at first, just that they, they had a mission together and they had a higher calling. And this is, is really the beginning of Heaven's Gate. It's Applewhite and Nettles meeting and deciding that they are spiritual partners, uh, that fate has destined them to, uh, to do something together and it did take them a while to figure out as you said the messianic claims that took a while
2: but it makes sense now you, you you can almost see where their their beliefs came from he had to somehow reconcile his Christian faith with his lifestyle and she offered you know she was able to fill in the gaps so they Frankensteined
0: this belief system yeah it's it, it, She's often forgotten, uh, Mar- uh, uh, Bonnie Lou- Bonny Lunettles. I mean, uh, because she she had died before before the end. Uh, you know, in, in 1985 is when she died. Uh, but she, as a as a Theosophist, as, as a spiritualist, she was engaged in, in channeling. She was engaged in astrology. She was uh, very deeply within sort of this metaphysical New Age uh, worldview, and she introduced that to him. Uh, she claimed that she could communicate with extra-dimensional extraterrestrial beings and that she could bring their messages to Earth. She claimed she could communicate with the dead. She claimed that she could do, uh, she could perform astrology and, and chart the future. And that is really what combined with his much more Christian biblical set of, of understandings and assumptions, what fused to create heaven's Gate. You can see why I'm still studying it 20 years later. and I have to say there's still many mysteries and un- unanswered questions about the group. I was going to say.
1: Now they called themselves. They they had new names for themselves too, right? It was Doe and Tea.
0: Yeah, but that was only the last of them. At first, they called themselves uh, Guinea and Pig, and it, uh, <laughs> well, they were they were running a little experiment on themselves. They said, yeah. uh, and then it was Bo and Peep because they were trying to create a, a flock. And finally, it was Tea and Doe. Uh, you know, actually, for a while they called themselves Him and Her. <laughs> they were trying to figure out. <laughs> uh, uh, the whole idea there is they, they were talk. giving their human identities. Uh, you know, the, the rough analog here would be if you were to become a Catholic nun or a monk, uh, you would take a new name when you joined the monastery. Um, mm-hmm. right? So you'd become, uh, you know, uh, Brother Francis or um, you know uh, Sister Claire whatever it is. And that's your new name within the group, uh, you know, as, as a nun or a monk. But they were doing sort of the same thing. They took a new name because they were rejecting their old lives and personalities. Uh, but for them, it went further. They were rejecting our planet. Uh, So, monk or a nun is is not rejecting our planet. They're just rejecting their their birth name because they have this new identity. Uh, For Heaven's Gators, uh, they were rejecting their humanity. So, by taking new names, they were saying, I don't belong on this planet. I'm not going to use your earthly planetary name. I'm going to take a next-level name, a next-level meaning outer space. Well, well,
2: there you go, Al. We can become bugs and bunny. (laughs) Uh,
1: Okay. I'm calling you the bunny. (laughs) <laughs> now on this now what did they think like okay so the heaven's gate members believed that the planet earth was about to be recycled or wiped clean or something like that and they had to leave the planet immediately uh, so when that didn't happen do, doesn't the current heaven's gate followers know that it's not true
0: well, there are very few current Heavensgate followers left. I mean, the group is gone. The group is defunct. There are a uh, half dozen or so true believers who are left, and they have different understandings about what's going on. Uh, you know, one of the uh, misunderstandings about not just Heaven's Gate but many apocalyptic groups, is they don't say the entire planet's going to be destroyed, just that our current civilization uh, is, is going to collapse. Uh, so as I understand it, one way you can, you can sort of re- repackage that is to say, well, our society is in the act of collapsing. It hasn't collapsed yet, but the, the, the end is coming. Uh, but most apocalyptic groups have to deal with this. The, the apocalyptic groups say the world's going to end, and, and it doesn't, as far as I know. Uh, and they have to deal with it. And in many cases, they keep going. Uh, the the mm-hmm. example of this is, is the Seventh-day Adventists and other Adventist traditions. Uh, which said the world was going to end about four or five times back in the middle of the 19th century. Yes. And it didn't, and they're still here. And they have different explanations for that. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the same thing. Uh, and, you know, the explanations are, well, it's beginning to end, or sort of the process is going to unfold, or it's been delayed somewhat, or or we've done something to help push it back. There's, there's different you know, ways of yeah. reconciling it.
2: Well, look at Elizabeth Clare Prophet. I mean, she was giving definite dates, but they didn't have their bunker system ready yet so god has given us a couple more months to finish it well now now it's still not done so god's given us another couple of months it, you know that that got to the point where people were losing faith right and left
0: well i mean this is a long standing issue with with any group with apocalyptic beliefs look at first century christianity the apostle paul writes about how he doesn't expect that um, he expects that there are people living now who'll see the end of the world uh and he expects everything to come crashing down and then, uh, what is the first, second, third generation of Christians going to do when, when the world doesn't end? Will they end up building a church and sort of shoving end of the world beliefs into the, the literally the back end of their theology? It's the very last book in the Bible. You can be a Christian and not think at all about it because all of that apocalyptic stuff was sort of put in at the tail end. It's still there. Uh, but it's not a central part of, of Christian teaching as it emerges in the 3rd, 4th, 5th century. However, it's still there. And that's what we see today, is we see apocalyptic groups that go back to this very ancient Christian set of beliefs about the end of the world, and, and which have never been expunged from the Bible. They're still there. It's in the book of Revelation. It's right there. Uh, and they reinvigorate it and say, now we live in this, in this era. Uh, but it is tough to keep a group going if you're expecting the world to end at any moment.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, What is it about us then? uh, Have you figured any sort of way of of understanding why we as humans uh, always put ourselves in this place where there's always a group of of people that are expecting the world to end and it's it's always some sort of major catastrophe that's going to happen and it keeps on reappearing in different religions but or different belief systems I'll say and is it something in our human nature? Do you think?
0: I think it is. It's a great question. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm conjecturing here, but I think that part of it has to do with this. Profound nostalgia. Many of us feel for the past, where we we think of the past as the golden era, and everything has, has declined since then. Actually, even that very phrasing came from antiquity. The idea that there once was a golden age, and now we're we've descended down into the there was a silver age and a bronze age, and that and the things are going downhill. And if things are going downhill, well, that that implies that eventually it's going to hit rock bottom, and, and that's the end. Uh, you see it in Hinduism. It's very well developed in terms of the yucca system in Hinduism. that's we're in Kali Yuga, which is the end, and that each yuga gets worse and worse, and we're, we're reaching the end of the world. And In Hinduism, of course, it's cyclical. It will restart, and it will start over again. In Christianity, it's more linear. But most religions have this, and I think it's rooted in this idea that things used to be better, and now they're worse, and they're, and, and they're going downhill. I, I'm not sure empirically if that's true. I would much rather live today than, than 100 years ago, for example, or 1,000 years ago. Um, but I think psychologically, it's very appealing to people to say, "Well, we were great once. Let's be great again, so to speak." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, here was, recently.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's always uh, well that that ties into even modern politics. Without getting into it, because
0: you, you, you think <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we want to make it great again, but
0: then um, I always across the left and the right. I mean, this utopian yeah. thinking and this this idea that things were better once and, and, and either embracing apocalypticism or utopianism, those are your two options. Either say it's all going to end and we're looking forward to it or we're going to make it better and we're going to try to build it. Those are your two options. And again, it's left, right. It's secular, religious. I think it's everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's everywhere. And that's what's kind of... Um, it's just what your concept of what great was and yeah. what great would be. It's the same thing as with the religion I mean because now okay and back to the uh, to the heavens gate group uh, they actually th- committed suicide mm-hmm. thinking that they could catch a ride on a spacecraft that was behind the comet up, uh,
0: mm-hmm. correct mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, okay I, I, I'm sort of I'm confused by that
0: alright so what happened here is they've been trying to get off the planet for 20 years and at first is the, the, the UFO was going to hover mid-atmosphere and just sort of pick them up, and, and obviously it just didn't happen. So they were trying to find a way off the planets, and they had been hoping they'd receive some sort of marker that their time had come to leave, and the goal was always to physically get aboard it. Uh, but in 1985, Bonnie Lou Nettles, the co-founder, died, and when mm-hmm. her body didn't go anywhere, they decided that her soul or her spirit or her consciousness must have transferred up. Uh, They came to embrace the walk-in concept, that she was basically a walk-in. She was an extraterrestrial being who had inhabited a human body, but then she returned to the next level. And at that point, it then became logically possible the rest of them might need to sort of abandon their bodies as well as an option. So slowly they began to embrace that idea that uh, instead of the UFO landing or sort of picking them up in, in bodily form, they might leave their bodies behind and they would... Uh, Go in a spiritual or or, uh, consciousness form to outer space, Uh, and then with Hale Bopp, what happened was there were um, claims that there was a what was called a companion that was following the comet. So if you uh, remember the old Art Bell radio show, uh, coast to coast, yeah. So oh, absolutely. So there was a caller who said, uh, and some of your your, uh, listeners probably you know know the story. uh, there was a caller who said that um, uh, he had documentary evidence to photograph that there was a UFO behind Hellbop, uh, that it was a NASA cover-up, uh, and Art Bell supposedly saw the image and, and confirmed this, so there was all this buzz that uh, indeed there, there was a UFO trailing Hellbop comet. Uh. And then there was a, a group of people from what um, uh, was called the Farsight Institute that um, claimed they could astrally project their consciousnesses and they were able, they claimed, to actually see the UFO and to confirm its reality. And so they called into Arc Bell 2 and said, yeah, we, we projected our consciousnesses. We've, we've seen it. It's out there. It's a really big UFO. It's the size of a planet. It's following the, um, uh, the comets. And some members of Heaven's Gate said, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. Uh, here's our, our marker to leave. Uh, some did believe uh, that, that there actually was a UFO following Hellbop. Others weren't sure. Uh, But they believed the time had come. This is what they were waiting for. We missed the ride. Well, yeah, according to to them, we missed the ride.
2: (laughs) So, some of their practices, though, don't... I mean, when you... Let's go back earlier into the conversation when you said that they were almost abandoning their humanity. I mean, they went so far as to self-mutilate.
0: Yes, several members were... uh, Male members uh, were castrated. Uh, So... Part of what's going on here is they have to reject—they were taught to reject everything of the human level. So that meant um, anything which uh, would would bind you to our planet, uh, family. Uh, so they they abandoned their families, uh, friendships, relationships, either uh, romantic or platonic, uh, were to be abandoned. Uh, jobs, uh, property, anything which mired you to this level, uh, drugs, alcohol, any of these things um, to be abandoned. Uh, By far the toughest for, for many members of the group was their sexuality, was the idea they had to be completely celibate. and There are different stories about how it came up, but uh, several members decided they wanted to, to become castrated because this would be, be easier than having to, um, uh, to deal with their urges. Uh, not only were they not allowed to, to, you know, to, to have sex, uh, but they couldn't masturbate either. They had to be totally celibate, no sexuality. So several of the, the, the male members of the group said, let's let's get castrated. It might be easier. Uh, there are different stories about what happened. Uh, different individuals claimed they were the first person to volunteer. Uh, what is clear from the evidence we have is that several of the castrations were improperly done. Uh, this is not the sort of thing which you can just go to a doctor and say, you know, take care of me. So they tried it themselves. They went to Mexico. Uh, it was... Uh, it was a bit of a mess, and so they didn't all do it, just a few members, and they decided that that, that it was not a project worth pursuing.
1: How did they actually kill themselves? Like, what, what is it that they did to kill themselves?
0: Um, so what they did, and I'm going to preface this by saying I do not endorse suicide, and this is not a, a how-to, So, but, but as a historian, I, uh, it is my job to, to say what actually happened. Um so, with that preface, what they did is they, uh, they bought a copy of a uh, book intended for terminally ill patients about how to uh, uh, commit to suicide euthanasia, uh, and they followed the advice uh, in, in that book to a letter. Uh, what they did, and this is all, it's public knowledge, it's in the coroner's reports, which, I, which I've read. Uh, they um, uh, killed themselves by ingesting, overdosing on barbiturates, uh, combined with alcohol, Uh, which uh, reduced their uh, uh, their respiration. And then they uh, tied uh, plastic bags over their heads to basically suffocate. Uh, Because they committed suicide in in waves, there were three waves, uh, the the bags were not found over the heads of of the first two waves because they were cleaned up. Um, They were left sort of lying in state, basically. Uh, But that is the method. It was barbiturates, alcohol, and asphyxiation.
1: So they killed themselves in groups in waves. You said so. In, in actuality, there was people that were still alive. So some would kill themselves, and then they would clean them up or put them where they need it to be. And then, so they were they they were all very aware of what was going on.
0: Very much so. Yeah, it was three waves: March twenty second through twenty fourth, nineteen ninety seven, uh, and. You know, it was a ritual suicide. So if you've seen the visuals, and it's pretty easy to just you know, do a Google search, you can find a pretty easy uh, access to the, the visuals. Uh, they were found lying in bunk beds uh, in their full, their full uniforms, their dress uniforms, uh, with uh, purple shrouds uh, over, their, over their bodies. Uh, they were lying with their arms stretched uh, beside themselves. Uh, they had uh, their identification papers and glasses folded uh, quickly uh, next to each other. Um, to be easy to, to identify, but it was very much a ritual suicide. I mean, they were uh, they were intentional about it. Uh, obviously, I wasn't there, and no one who was there uh, who was able to to tell us what happened. But uh, by all accounts, it appears as if it was a, a calm procedure uh, that they knew what they were doing, and they chose to do it. Uh, you know, I um, the image I've always had of it. Uh, if any of your your Listeners have ever seen um, what was that a movie? A Few Good Men, I think, where the the, the army officer uh, commits suicide, where he gets all dressed up and just sort of kills himself. You know, that sort of um, yeah kind of ritualized. You sort of you're doing it clean, you're doing it proper, you're doing it in, in in the appropriate way, and then then it's over. So I think that's what they did. They you know they got dressed up, they were wearing their uniforms, uh, they put their affairs in order, and that was that.
2: And they even went so far as, before this, to make videos, yes, uh, testimonials.
0: Yes. Uh, Most members of the group, nearly all of them, either uh, video recorded uh, a a testimonial, an exit video, as they called it, or they wrote um, uh, statements which were self-published in their book and later their website, explaining what they were doing and why. Uh, What the group then did is they uh, uh, compiled uh, the videos. Uh, They were literal videotapes. Uh, They made an update to their website. uh, And they sent all of this to several ex-members on whom they were good terms. And they actually timed it uh, so it was dropped off at an overnight delivery service so it would arrive the morning after the last suicides. Uh, And they were very careful not to tell the ex-members what they were doing. They didn't want the ex-members to be held criminally liable being aware the suicides were about to occur so by the time their exit videos and the website updates and their statements had arrived into the hands of the ex-members it was too late
1: now what's this one of the group members actually didn't com- commit suicide didn't kill himself
0: uh, well, there were several ex-members who were on, on good terms with the group, um, and you might be referring there to uh, Rio DeAngelo, who was the yeah. person of the body. Yeah. yeah, so Rio was a member who, at the time, he was basically still a believer, but he had left uh, for, uh, for sort of religious and personal reasons, and he's given an interview, it's easy enough to find, I think it was an LA Weekly, uh, where he talked about his experience uh, yeah, but he was one of the people who received the package uh, announcing the suicides with the tapes and everything. He was the closest, I want to say he was in Los Angeles, he was somewhere nearby, so he um, he drove down and uh, found the bodies and, and there's a 911 tape of him um, calling in to, to report them. Uh, several other members uh, also, or ex-members, uh, uh, also received the, the tapes and such. Uh, then there were two ex-members who uh, later committed suicide uh, uh, ritually uh, who decided, that although they were not part of the group at the time of the suicide, they were actually still believers, and they uh, tried to commit suicide uh, together as, as partners. Uh, one was successful, uh, one was not, but then that second one later committed suicide. And there were a few other, there were two or three other ex-members who over the next decade or so also ended their lives uh, all for religious reasons, believing they wow. were souls to get to the next level. Um, yeah. Yeah but, but you've already missed the
2: window. Why would they why would they do it later? I thought they only had like a like a small window.
0: Hope. Hope. They hoped the window was still open. And ultimately if the next level aliens are basically gods. Um, gods can do what they want. So uh, they had hoped that uh, the window was still open. Uh, Applewhite, the leader of the group, does say in one of his videos, uh, one of the last ones he produced, uh, that if you recognize his message, uh, that the window may still be open. Uh, so he gives that sort of uh, sense of, of hope that you might still have a chance. Uh, so that's probably what they were what they were thinking about.
1: Wow. Wow. And now they they were—they had money on them as well. Was that about $5 or something and some coin? Yeah, there was um,
0: rolls of quarters and a couple of dollar bills. Uh, there's different explanations for this, and I've been told different things by various ex-members. Uh, one ex-member told me it was a joke, that they actually did this just because they thought that it would get attention and this would be sort of a, a strange thing to do. Um, another member said that um, this was a holdover from when they used to uh, go out and... Uh, you know, so the group always lived together in, in, in sort of these little communal houses, but when they would leave, they would take money with for pay phones. This was before, you know, cell phone technology. So they always carried some quarters and some bus fare in case they had to get back. Uh, so it was sort of a, a reference to the fact that when you leave the, the house, or the craft as they called it, you brought some money with. Uh, and they were leaving their house or their craft, so they brought their money with because that's what you do. Uh, that's probably the, the most likely explanation for, uh, there were other sort of claims as well. but The only people who know exactly why are, are no longer with us.
1: So you you being uh, into teaching and being a professor in, in into religion, how has this sort of book and this work that you did on this affected you and maybe the way you teach or the way you talk about religion?
0: So I take religion really seriously uh, as a force which can really lead to good or to evil, uh, both in a broad sort of cultural, social sense, but also individual choices like, like the suicides. I think it's very, very powerful, and it's, uh, at the same time, the fact that people can and do, believe and do so many different things makes me very hesitant to, to be able to say whose religions are crazy and whose are not, because, as I mentioned earlier, from the outside, everyone's religions look a little crazy. Uh, and from the inside, they make sense. And what what boggled me when I first began studying Heaven's Gate was that it made sense to them. Because when I first started studying it, I thought this this looks ludicrous. Uh, it looks like you add a bit of Star Trek to a bit of Bible to a bit of of you know shamanism, and here you go. And then after years of studying it, I began to understand why it made sense to them, and within their worldview, why it made sense. And it's actually really scary. It's really scary to say. I understand why this made sense to them. That is not a, that, that is not a happy thought, to be honest. Uh, I'm not saying I believe them. I'm not saying I want to join them. I'm just saying I understand them. And that is that is in some ways tough because it's it makes them closer to us. It's really easy to say they were crazies. It's really easy to say they were brainwashed. It's really easy to say they were deluded fools. It's really easy to say they were nuts. It's a lot tougher to say... Boy, they were like you and me. Uh, they just believed and did differently. And um, that's tough. Now, cults as a whole, they seem
2: to have a certain, for lack of better terms, a victimology. You know, And, and they, they like young, open-minded, idealistic people that are having personal issues that they believe they have an answer to. Having done this study and this research that you've done, do you kind of look over your, your students in a different way? Or are you more aware of what's going on
0: on your campus? I can't say I do. And, and the reason is, the more I studied Heaven's Gate and the individual members who were part of it, the vast majority of them had been part of other uh, alternative religious, spiritual, I want to say cultic groups, before they joined Heaven's Gate. Uh, they had been major parts of, of either particular organizations or they had been um, part of sort of the subculture. Uh, so this was not their first step into this alternative spiritual, religious, uh, uh, cultic, occult world. Uh, it was particular sorts of people. There were very few members of Heaven's Gates who were sort of your ordinary, average people, uninterested in any of this before they met the group. There were a few. There were a few, one or two, out of a group of thirty-nine, but most of them really had been on these spiritual quests for so long. This was just sort of their their last stop on it. So, in terms of you know what I think of in terms of you know my students who are in their, their teens and in their early twenties, uh, when I teach on Heaven's Gate, because I teach a class and uh, it's called Cults, Sects, and Communes. Um, it says sex as in S E C T S, Cults. Insane. Yeah, you've got the students in the door, though, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I teach the class. Most of them look at this stuff and they say it's crazy. Um, but uh, you know, it, it took a certain sort of person, I think, for any sort of alternative religious worldview to make sense. Uh, it's very much a niche sort of model, I think.
1: Are you aware of any new religious movements or, or groups or sex cults, whatever, um, that we should be aware of now?
0: Well, the, the ironic thing is that there's so many of them and they're so small that I haven't heard of, of any of them, particularly out where you are, uh, because unless they do something to get on the, the, the national radar, uh, they're, they're just invisible. Uh, I know of smaller groups near where I am that one might, I suppose, plausibly call cultic in some ways. Uh, most of them now often involve sort of um, uh, uh, gurus, you know, that that's sort of the current sort of a level of interest, uh, so it would be a meditation master, some sort of yoga master that would, uh, that would have a class and then there might be a group of people that might come to live with them and, and drop out of their sort of their, their ordinary lives to focus on this exclusively. You know, if, if you're a, a concerned family member, uh, you might see this as a cult. If you are a member of the group, you'd say it was, uh, it's, it's your life and it's, it's your focus. And sociologically speaking, we know most members leave. Uh, uh, cults or new religions tend to have revolving doors. Uh, the best longitudinal or long term studies show uh, up, uh, upwards of 75, 80, even 90% turnover rate over a four to five year period. So for many people, they come and go. Uh, but that isn't to say there's not that 5 to 10% that joins a group and stays.
1: Yeah. How do you feel about Scientology in, in being classified in this sort of way?
0: I don't know enough about Scientology to to give sort of a, a, a proper, educated, academic opinion. I can tell you, I know Scientologists who swear up and down that this is uh, the most wonderful thing which has ever happened to them, and that this is meaningful and that this uh, makes perfect sense. Uh, and I can tell you, I know people who are ex-Scientologists who say that it was the worst thing in the world and that it is um, it, it's the most evil organization you can imagine. Uh, I can tell you as as an academic, I look at those two and I say, well, I'm not sure which one's right. Uh, It's probably somewhere in the middle. You know, my my uneducated opinion on Scientology, without having studied it extensively, is that for your average Scientologist, your low-level member of, I believe they're called orgs, which are sort of the local groups, uh, that it's probably just like going to a church or a synagogue. It's something they do occasionally. But that for those who are deeply into it, it becomes the center of their lives. Uh, and because there's a clear in and out, uh, that that probably leads to severe tensions. But again, that, that's an educated guess. Uh, I'm not able to give you sort of an informed opinion. Wow.
1: Uh, what have you got coming up next? Are you planning on doing more books?
0: Well, I'm always looking for for new topics. So, if any of your listeners uh, know any particular groups they think I should take a look at, uh, they can drop me an email. I'm easy enough to find on the um, Lake Forest College website. That's where I teach. Uh, lakeforest.edu. That's with an L. Um, so, if anyone knows any groups that they think would be worth taking a look at, you can drop me an email. Uh, but uh, as I said, the, the, the reality is most of these these new religions are so small and so ephemeral. They come and go. Uh, I just try to keep my eyes and ears open in case there's something new which really uh, uh, calls for for study, and examination, analysis.
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So, book religion, food, and eating in North America.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's another one of my books. Yeah, you've done your homework on me. I, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love food. I, I love food. So that book uh, I co-edited with some colleagues, looking at religion and food topics. Yeah,
1: yeah, that sounds good. I I want to get that book and. Uh, I think there's
0: recipes in that one, but I I will say I'm biased, obviously, being the editor. But it's a great compilation of academic studies of uh, different religious groups as they relate to religion and food. Uh, There's one on a group out in your area uh, on a – it's a Native American group, and it has to do with their relationship with salmon and with salmon fishing and salmon-related practices. Uh, And that's one of the chapters in the book. Uh, So if you're interested – you can pick that one up. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it definitely. I, I guess I never thought about it till I till I saw the title of the book. But um, food has a lot to do with the religion that you're in.
0: Yeah, it does. It's it's deeply embedded. We don't tend to think about it except for maybe you know with Jews and kosher and Muslims and halal. We sometimes think about it because that's that's very public. You know, it, it's labeled in the supermarket mm-hmm. uh, or in the the streets. Yeah. Um, but every religion has. Food teachings uh, sometimes they're uh, they're related to holidays or a rite of, of passage. Uh, sometimes we think about them as cultural but they're so deeply embedded it's hard to distinguish between what is cultural and, and, and what is religious. Uh, sometimes they're liturgical or ritual you know like the um, uh, like a Eucharist you know a Catholic Eucharist uh, sometimes they they take place in the family at home like uh, Jewish Passover, uh, sometimes it refers to not eating food, uh, like uh, Ramadan fasting for, for Islam. Uh, sometimes it's food offerings, like in Hinduism, uh, with the offerings uh, to, to the gods and goddesses. Uh, sometimes it's what you do and don't eat. Uh, some Buddhists are vegetarians. Uh, some are not. Uh, yeah, obviously, we mentioned kosher and halal. You know, it's, it's a fascinating uh, set of materials. I love it. Yeah. Also, I love it. So when I study, I get to eat it
1: yeah <laughs> oh, Kevin would be good on that
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah.
1: wow uh, this has been really, really interesting. I've really enjoyed it
0: It's always a pleasure to talk you know, as a college professor, that's what i do i just love i I love just sort of chatting with people about this, and uh you know it's uh, there's so much in the world worth studying <laughs> oh,
1: endless endless and, yeah. Well, uh, um, maybe we'll have you back on again. This would be great, uh, especially about, uh, I was thinking of prophets and uh, that sort of idea.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot we can talk about.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, our guest has been uh, Dr. Benjamin Zeller, and the book we've been talking about is uh, Heaven's Gate, and it's America's UFO religion. Uh, thank you for being on the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, it's been an honor. Thank you.
2: Yeah. To find out more... To find out more about our show,
0: guests, or to
2: listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night.